You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC Vegas 31 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC Vegas 31 features an 11 fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN Plus and ESPN this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a heavyweight contest featuring Rodrigo Nascimento, who is 8-1, and one, and Alan Badeau, who is 8-2. and two. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? A couple quick notes before we get rolling here. The opening betting odds that I am referring to are market opening prices, and they are available to be found at MMAOddsBreaker.com. Head over to MMAOddsBreaker and check out the UFC Vegas 31 opening betting odds article done by Adam Martin. And, of course, the updating betting odds that I am referring to are from Circa Sports. Log on to CircaSports.com and check out our app. You can download it from anywhere in the U.S. And, of course, if you're in Las Vegas or in Colorado, make sure you log on and get your bets down for this UFC card. And one more thing, don't forget, UFC on the line, UFC Vegas 31, was recorded this week. It's available on UFC Fight Pass, and all of my official bets for this week are on that show. So check out UFC on the line, UFC Vegas 31, exclusively on UFC Fight Pass. Now, getting right into this podcast, the opening line, Nascimento minus 365, Badeau plus 275. That was the opening fight. And right now, currently... At Circus Sports, we have Nascimento coming in at minus 345. They come back on Badoa plus 285. So line staying fairly steady. Not a lot of crazy action coming in in this particular fight. I think a lot of people are probably wanting to stay away from it. I don't blame them. It should be interesting for sure. But I think if Badoa wants to win this fight as a live dog, obviously he's got to connect and land something heavy on the feet against Nascimento. Nascimento is a decent striker, but of course he's coming off that knockout loss. Not a good look for him. And Badeau, that again, that's his path to victory. I think he is a little bit better in the striking department. Nascimento wants to probably get this fight to the floor. His jiu-jitsu skill is on a different level, and he can have some serious success if he's able to get this fight to the floor, which I think he will be able to do. And again, that's why he's such high chalk here, because on the feet, should be competitive, edge to Badeau, but on the ground, a huge edge to Nascimento here, and I think that's how he probably gets it done. So, I would stay away from this fight in terms of betting, but as far as a pure pick goes, I think you have to lean towards Nascimento here. I think he gets back on track, and I think he could be a pretty solid heavyweight in, in the mix here for sure because the UFC, of course, heavyweight division isn't a shark tank like some of the other uh, weight classes that we see. So Nascimento is definitely, I think, kind of a dark horse if he can get back on track and, and kind of show a little bit better defense on the feet, but this is a good test for him to get that done. Let's see where he's at right now. So the pick, Nascimento. And I'm right with you. Uh, basically, Nascimento was a guy that was on the rise in the heavyweight division, and then, you know, Dowkhouse just swarmed him and knocked him out uh, and kind of sent him right back down. Uh, but he is still very talented, and his ground game is no joke. So if he gets his hands on uh, Badeau, I expect him to finish him quickly, whether it's uh, a submission from top position or ground and pound. Uh, we've already seen... Uh, but Doe knocked out twice in both of his losses, his last loss. Uh, granted, it was against a really good heavyweight uh, prospect in Tom Aspinall, but he got quickly taken down and just annihilated on the canvas with ground and pound. So I would think Nascimento should be able to do that as well if he gets a hold of him. Um, but uh, Bado does have quite a bit of power on the feet, and if he is able to connect against Nascimento, as we saw, uh, Nascimento can get knocked out as well. So uh, Bado has uh, a puncher's chance in this, but I think the second it goes to the ground, it's over. So I have to go with Nascimento here. Now dropping all the way down to the flyweight division, we have Francisco Figueredo, who is 12-3-1, taking on Malcolm Gordon, who is 12-5. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? 
Figueredo open minus 230 to come back on Gordon at plus 190. And right now over at Circus Sports, we are seeing Figueredo minus 315 to come back on Gordon at plus 265. So name recognition probably making an impact on this line a little bit with Figueredo getting bet up. I mean, honestly, Gordon has not looked good thus far in the UFC. I mean, suffering two straight losses and getting finished in both of those. So he's got some issues, especially on the feet with his chin. But that being said, he fought decent competition. So I don't think Gordon is honestly as bad as we've seen so far in the UFC. I think offensively, he definitely has some skill. He's not a bad striker on the feet. He has a capable ground game as well. So there's a threat on the offensive side of Gordon for sure. It's just defensively, not liking what I see from Gordon. Even you know historically before he got in the UFC, he's had his problem spots definitely defensively. But that being said, again... I think he's probably better than everybody's anticipating here in this spot. So the action coming in on Figueredo, I get it. I understand it. I mean, of course, his brother, former UFC flyweight champion. And again, that's what I'm saying. Name value carries a long way. Um, I do think he's obviously not as dangerous or not as capable as his brother. But at the same time, he does have similar attributes. I think he does has some power in his feet standing. He could be a threat for sure. He's got decent takedown ability and he's got a decent ground game. And I think he's going to mix everything in a little bit better than Gordon here. Get the fight to the floor when he needs to. I think the stand-up will be fairly competitive, but I do think it's Figueredo's fight to win or lose here. And again, I can't trust Gordon. He's a bit chinny. I mean, obviously he's been submitted before as well. So I think Figueredo has enough power and he's got the capabilities maybe winning this fight on the ground as well. So wouldn't be shocked though if Gordon shows up here and makes this a lot more interesting and, and possibly even gets a W here. Um, I don't trust Figueredo, and there's no way I would lay minus 300. I mean, honestly, I think the original price was a little low, but somewhere in between where it's at now and the original openers is where the line should be. So I think it's a little bit high right now, but I am going to pick Figueredo to win. And I'm going to go with Figueredo as well. Uh, the main thing for me is uh, I think Figueredo is just better than Gordon. Uh, Gordon does have. Uh, a decent grappling attack, but it's most effective off of his back. And that is just not a place you want to stay. Um, so I think in this fight, uh, Figueredo gets the better of Gordon on the feet. And Figueredo, I think, has the the wrestling advantage. So if it does go to the floor, he should be in top position. Uh, the main thing that really concerns me in this fight is the fact that people might be overhyping Figueredo for uh, getting a win over Jerome Rivera, who is 0-4 in the UFC, and they might be under-hyping Gordon, who is 0-2, but both of his losses are to really good flyweights. So I think that the people are just not quite seeing how good either of these guys are. I think Gordon is definitely a lot closer to Figueredo's level than people are giving him credit for. Um, another thing to be concerned about is, at least before he came to the UFC, Figueredo had some conditioning issues. And uh, it would not surprise me for those to rear their ugly head in this fight. And if they do, uh, Gordon definitely has the ability to take advantage of those. Um, we could definitely see um, Gordon taking over this fight late if Figueredo starts to slow down. So that is a huge red flag. Keep an eye out if Figueredo starts to gas. But uh, in terms of pure skill, I have to side with Figueredo. Uh, he does train, you know, with his brother, who is or was the UFC flyweight champion. So you have to feel like he is uh, making some strides and correcting some of his flaws. But again, there are definitely some red flags with Figueredo. So keep an eye out there, but I will side with Figueredo. Now, moving up to the Bantamweight division, we have Anderson Dos Santos, who is 21-8, taking on Miles Johns, who is 11-1. Now, Nick... Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? John's open minus 145 to come back on Dos Santos at plus 125. And right now, over at Circus Sports, we have John's minus 180 to come back on Dos Santos at plus 155. So a little bit more actually coming in John's way. I get it. I understand it. I think it's probably right. Dos Santos is a pretty good fighter. He's a dangerous fighter for sure because he does have, again, that well-rounded skill set. He's got the power to knock you out on the feet, but it's his ground game that's his best attribute here. I just think Johns is just a little bit better. Maybe not the pure jiu-jitsu game. I think Dos Santos offensively is a little bit more ahead of the game, so to speak, and has that ability to uh, be a little bit better than Johns on the floor, uh, but not from top position. I think Johns is the better wrestler here, so he should be able to dictate where this fight takes place, and I think he is the better striker here as well. So I think Johns is honestly being a little bit underrated and underestimated here because of his loss to Batista more than anything else, but I think this guy is a legit 
fighter at 135 pounds. I definitely think he's going to probably continue to get those Ws. I mean, right now I believe he's uh, three and one in the UFC with that only loss being to Batista. So I, I expect him to continue to put together wins. I expect him to make some noise and I expect him to keep on improving. I mean, he's only 27 years old. Dos Santos, on the other hand, I believe he's one and two in the UFC. He isn't coming into this fight off of an impressive win over day. That was definitely a, a solid win for him. I think he's going to have confidence. And I think, honestly, despite only being one and two in the UFC, he's never been better in his career. I think this is the best Dos Santos that we've seen to date. So he's going to have a little bit of an advantage as far as pure reach goes, despite being a couple inches shorter here. So there's a threat from Dos Santos for sure here. I just don't think he's going to get it done. So for me, it's a favor to pass situation. And I do think it's Miles Johns. Uh, as far as a pure pick goes. I think he wins this fight and he continues to roll in the UFC. And I'm right with you. Uh, Johns has impressed me quite a bit so far in his UFC run, uh, going 2-1 and one plus uh, the win on Contender Series. Uh, plus, outside the UFC, um, that LFA title win against Adrian Yanez is looking really good, too. So uh, don't forget about that one. Um, now, uh, Anderson Dos Santos, on the other hand, um, while... He did get that win over Martin Day. Uh, I still have not been uh, that impressed. Um, I think uh, the fact that he lost to, to Naramini and Ewell, both pretty middle-of-the-road Bantamweights, uh, kind of puts me in the, you know, he's in the lower tier of the UFC Bantamweight division. Um, now, uh, this is just a really winnable fight for Johns. Um Dos Santos has, uh, you know, some kind of wild winging striking. And I think that it is going to uh, get exposed a little bit here by Johns, who has a very good jab. Um, and uh, he also has uh, a good foundation of wrestling to fall back on if for some reason Dos Santos is having success on the feet. Um, Santos does have a pretty good submission game, but Johns should be able to neutralize that with just top position and not leaving too many openings there. So I think uh, Johns outpoints Dos Santos on the feet, particularly with good use of his jab and maybe mixes in some takedowns and secures rounds with top position. Um, I just think Dos Santos probably needs a finish to get the win, and I'm just not sure where he's going to get that finish. Uh, he's going to have to catch him kind of like uh, Bautista did the, the, when uh, Johns did get his uh, UFC loss with that you know, that knee out of nowhere. So it can happen, but I think it'll be more of a flukish type of thing. And I think uh, this definitely is uh, Johns here way more likely to win. So Johns is going to be my pick. Now, sticking with the Bantamweight division, we have Khalid Taha, who is 13-3, taking on Sergei Morozov, who is 16-4. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Taha opens minus 150 to come back on Morozov, plus 130. And right now, over at Circus Sports, we are seeing Taha minus 140 to come back on Morozov at plus 120. This is an interesting fight. Definitely one of the ones I'm looking forward to the most on this entire card because I think Morozov is coming into this fight being a little bit undervalued, kind of get disrespected in a sort of way because I think, I mean, former M1 champion, you look at the body work that he did before coming to the UFC and then facing Nurmagomedov, Umar is a very tough out in your UFC debut, right? And that fight, he was doing fairly well until he wasn't, so to speak. So uh, credit to Umar for getting that submission win. He looked great in that fight, but I think Morozov... In this spot here, we'll probably find a little bit more success. Now, the danger aspect, of course, on the other side of it, Taha has some big power. He's facing really good competition. He continues to improve his game. I mean, his power is what he's kind of known for, really, on the feet more than anything else. But his wrestling is coming along, and his submission game is coming along as well. And he's faced, like I said, solid competition. So Taha's no joke. I can understand why people haven't favored here in this spot. I just think this is going to be a lot more tricky and a lot more competitive than people realize. Because on the feet, even though Taha does have that big power, I think Morozov can have some success. And then, of course, it's his grappling, Morozov's grappling and his takedown ability. I think that offensively you should have an advantage here. Um, so I, I think it's a dog or pass situation. I'm actually going to pick Morozov to get the W here. I think he can win a close fight in the scorecards, possibly get a finish on the ground if it hits the ground as well, especially if he can avoid that big bomb. I think for Taha, I don't see him winning on the cards. Um, I think his only path of victory, to be honest with you, I think it'll be close. Don't get me wrong. If it hits the scorecards, I think it's going to be a very competitive decision. 
but I do think that it's probably Morozov's fight on the scorecards. So for me, it's like the only way Taha can really get this W here is if he gets to the knockout win, I think more than likely. So I don't think he will here. I think Morozov is going to come through, and I think he's going to win this fight. So for me, dog or pass, and I'm going to pick him to win this fight straight out. And I think there are paths to victory for both fighters here. Um, Taha clearly is a guy that wants to pressure you on the feet, land big shots, go for the knockout, and he wants to keep it standing. Uh, Morozov, on the other hand, uh, he definitely does have uh, the advantage if it comes to the ground. Um, So basically, uh, if Taha can keep this upright, I think he's going to be in really good shape. Uh, but if Morozov can drag him to the floor, then Taha is in big trouble. Um, Taha did have a little bit of issue with his takedown defense in the past. Um, and I think, uh, if Morozov can drag him to the floor, uh, he definitely, uh, could win a decision. He could win by submission. He could win by TKO from ground and pound. Uh, that being said, uh, Morozov also has issues when people pressure him on the feet. Um, we've seen him kind of wilt a little bit. Uh, and, uh, if Taha is able to bully him in the standup, uh, then that's going to open some opportunities for him to, to get a knockout. Or I think that he can win a decision if he can keep it upright and just outpoint uh, Morozov landing big shots and just keeping him on the defensive for three rounds or just doing it for two out of the three rounds. So uh, this is really going to boil down to can Morozov get this fight to the floor? Um, uh, Taha's takedown defense is not great. Uh, we've seen him get taken down by quite a few people throughout his uh, UFC career. Uh, pretty much anyone who's tried to take him down has been able to do it. So... You know what? I was leaning Taha as I was talking about this fight, but I've kind of talked myself into Morozov. The fact that uh, Morozov has, or Taha's been taken down by even Bruno Silva, who was a flyweight, naturally, uh, you know, that's just stuck in the back of my mind. So I'm going to go with Morozov. I do think that he does get this to the floor and gets the victory, whether it's submission, ground and pound, or uh, decision. Now... Dropping down to the strawweight division, we have Amanda Lemos, who is 9-1-1, taking on Montserrat Ruiz, who is 10-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Lemos opened minus 250. The comeback on Ruiz at plus 210. That was the market opener. Right now, over at Circus Sports, we're seeing Lemos minus 595. The comeback on Ruiz at plus 460. Man, there's a lot to like about Lemos. I get it. I understand the hype. I understand why people are really in love with her at 115 pounds because of the way she fights, man. I mean, she brings it, has decent takedown defense. Her last three victories in the UFC have been nothing but impressive. Serious power on the feet, good takedown defense, ground awareness, everything across the board. I mean, that the only head-scratcher was her UFC debut to Leslie Smith, but at the same time, that was her debut in different circumstances, of course, since she's been fighting in her proper weight class. I mean, she's looked just fantastic, like I said. So a lot to like about Lemos. I think she's a handful for any fighter at 115 pounds right now. Ruiz on the other side of it. I think she's been impressive too, man. Coming into the UFC, pulling off of a, a really solid upset win over Bays. That was definitely one of the highlights of her career thus far. She's a little spark plug. I mean, she definitely brings it each time she steps into the cage. She has a little bit of power on the feet and some speed. Uh, but again, it's her ground game. It's those throws that we've seen in the base fight. That's where, where she's all about. I mean, she could definitely get the fight to the floor in most cases and kind of utilize and frustrate her opponents, utilize that grappling advantage that she has in most cases. It's going to be difficult here, though, for her to do that, especially after Lemos got to see the, the path to victory for Ruiz in her last fight. I think she's going to be prepared and her training camp's going to have her ready for that sort of attack, so to speak, that unorthodox style that Ruiz has. So I do think Lemos is going to be able to keep her distance where she wants it here and just bust Ruiz up and, and really do enough damage to, to win this fight. Obviously, maybe inside the distance. If not, I mean, Ruiz is a very tough lady to stop, so I wouldn't be surprised if it does hit the cards, so to speak. But that being said, it's hard to not think that Lemos is going to get a finish here before it hits the cards. But that being said, it's going to get interesting. If this fight does go into late second round or even a third round, maybe Ruiz can have the cardio conditioning to outlast Lemos and then start putting it on her. So it's going to be intriguing for sure if she can last and see 
how this actually plays out. But for me, obviously, and for most people, it's Lemos. I think she does get it done, and I think she keeps on rolling, and she keeps on impressing here. So hard to bet it right now. If you miss the boat at minus 250, you can't lay it at minus 600. Get out of here. Just stay away from it. Enjoy this fight. Watch it as a fan. Yeah, this one's pretty straightforward. I mean, Lemos has really, really impressed since she dropped down to the the 115-pound division, uh, getting those quality wins. I mean, literally all three of her wins at 115 are quality wins. I mean, she started it out by finishing Miranda Granger, then earned one-sided dominant decisions against Mizuke and uh, Lavinia Souza. So, I mean, she absolutely deserves to be top 15, if not top 10 right now in uh, the strawweight division. Uh, Ruiz, on the other hand, I think she still has, uh, you know, some something to prove. I mean, she's 1-0 in the UFC, and it was a, a an impressive performance against uh, Cheyenne Bays. But, uh, you know, both of the Bays is disappointed in that at that event. Uh, neither of them really looked particularly good, uh, did not live up to the hype whatsoever. Um, I think... Uh, you have to factor in that she did lose uh, to Danielle Taylor back in Invicta. So I think there is a cap on uh, Ruiz's skill right now. Uh, and I just don't think that she's on that same level as Lemos, who literally could be a contender in the division soon. I mean, she is really working her way up quickly. Um, this feels almost like like a parallel fight, if not even a step down from some of the opponents she's been fighting. So uh, I think as long as Lemos doesn't, uh, you know, fight down to her competition, which sometimes that happens if, uh, you know, you've got some momentum and you've got some hype and you're not given that, you know, top 15 opponent that can really hype you up and get you to train as hard as you can. Um, so if she doesn't show up, then Ruiz could play spoiler here, but, uh, I just don't uh, think that uh, Ruiz is on that same level with Lemos. I think Lemos outstrikes her on the feet. Um, and I don't think uh, that Lemos is going to get fooled by Ruiz basically doing a head and arm throw for 15 straight minutes. Like that was kind of like her one trick pony move. And Lemos, I think, is more talented than that. And I don't think that it's going to be a huge issue. So I think uh, Lemos wins convincingly. Now, moving up to the welterweight division for the preliminary card headliner, we have Danielle Rodriguez, who is 14-2, taking on Preston Parsons, who is 9-2. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Rodriguez opened minus 225, the comeback on Parsons at plus 175. And right now looking over at Circus Sports, we have Rodriguez minus 355, the comeback on Parsons at plus 295. So a lot of steam coming in Rodriguez's way. I get it. A lot of parlay action coming in his way too. Rodriguez has been pretty impressive in the UFC, man. I mean, a lot of people do respect his game. He's got the ability to stuff takedowns in most cases. He's got the ability to defend well on the ground if he gets put in bad spots. And then on the feet, of course, he has power. He's a very good striker. Uh, pretty durable, of course, as well. And overall, from top to bottom, his fight IQ has been pretty solid. So there's a lot to like about Daniel Rodriguez. Preston Parsons on the other side of it, making his UFC debut on short notice. Obviously a tough spot coming in here, making your debut against a guy that is pretty solid and already has established himself in the in the UFC. But I, I tell you what, I've been impressed with Parsons from what I've seen. I mean, he's known for his grappling game, for sure. He's got a good submission game offensively. Um, he looks for that takedown, and, and his wrestling is not too bad. But on the feet, he throws kicks. He's a lot more effective than you would think he is, especially because he's not as concerned about getting taken to the ground because that's what he wants to do at times, right? So I think his unorthodox striking on the feet can be effective. And he's not really a fish out of water, water even standing. So I think on the feet, he could present some problems if Rodriguez isn't careful. But obviously, the bigger advantage lies to Rodriguez here on the feet. And I think he can have success and hurt Parsons and probably get him out of there along the way. So it is Rodriguez's fight to win or lose, especially with a, with a full camp in comparison to uh, Parsons here in this spot. Um, but again, if you miss the boat around minus 225, minus 250, you can certainly not lay in a minus 355. I think Parsons is dangerous enough. And he's at the point of his career right now where he can come in here 
and impressed, really. And I wouldn't be shocked if he does pull off the upset win over Rodriguez, but I would be a bit surprised if that makes sense. So for me, the pick is Rodriguez. It is his fight to win or lose, but the confidence level that everybody has and the disrespect that everybody's showing Parsons is kind of a head-scratcher because he's not as bad as I think everybody is kind of making him out to be. So picking Rodriguez, but let's see how this one plays out. And I'm going to go with uh, Rodriguez as well. I mean, this one's pretty straightforward. Uh, Rodriguez is a fringe top 15 uh, welterweight. He's had some very high-quality performances, most recently earning a very impressive decision victory over Mike Perry. Uh, he's also beat Tim Means. Um, so he, he definitely has proven that he can hang with some of the better uh, welterweights out there. Um, meanwhile... Uh, Parsons, not quite so much. Uh, he is, uh, making his UFC debut on pretty short notice, about one week. Um, and, uh, he got knocked out by Mike Perry back in 2015. So, I mean, they do have a, an opponent in common. Um, and, uh, the other UFC caliber opponent that, uh, he did fight, uh, Valdir Araujo, who, uh, you know, didn't exactly have the, the greatest performance in the UFC either, uh, also defeated him. So he's 0-2 against UFC quality opponents, and this is a pretty high-level UFC quality opponent. So uh, it's asking a lot. Um, Parsons does have some good wrestling, so it's possible that Rodriguez, who really hasn't faced somebody that's been consistently trying to take him down, uh, perhaps he could... Uh, poke a hole in uh, Rodriguez's defense here and expose him a little bit against a, a wrestler. But I think the most likely outcome here is Rodriguez sprawls and brawls and at some point probably knocks uh, Parsons out. So my pick is going to be Rodriguez, but if you're feeling crazy, maybe uh, Parsons could get takedowns and win a decision or maybe even ground and pound his way to win to victory. Now, kicking off the main card, we have Billy Corantillo, who is 15-3, taking on Gabriel Benitez, who is 22-8, and and this is in the featherweight division. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Corantillo opened minus 135, the comeback on Benitez at plus 115. Over at Circus Sports, as we speak, it's Benitez minus 155, Corantillo plus 135. So the line flipped. This price got up to around 200-ish in most spots. And now we're seeing it drop back down towards Corantillo a little bit as well. So initial action on Benitez, I get it. Very good fighter, very underrated throughout his UFC career. Very well-rounded fighter. Corantillo, on the other hand, coming off that loss to Tucker, I think he's he got exposed somewhat in that fight as, as far as things he needs to improve on defensively for sure. Uh, but this is a different stylistic matchup in the spot. I think both these guys are very capable strikers. I actually think the pure striking advantage goes to Benitez here in this spot. I think it will be competitive back and forth. These guys definitely have enough power to hurt each other on the feet, but I just think I like Benitez's striking just a little bit more. But that being said, I think Mortello puts everything together a little bit better, meaning he can blend that striking with his ground game and with his wrestling, and he can adapt here. Where Benitez, I don't think, will be going for as many takedowns in the spot. Um, as Cortello will be, or I think if any positional control is had here, it's going to be probably Cortello getting top position along the way or taking Benitez's back. So I just think the more well-rounded fighter and complete game in this spot goes to Cortello, but it should be a banger of a fight. I mean, I, like I said, I'm expecting this to be one of the best fights on the card, to be honest with you, and Benitez definitely deserves some respect. I just think stylistically this is going to be a difficult matchup for both these guys, so it's probably a dog or pass situation. And I'm actually going to pick Cortello to come in here and steal this fight on the scorecards. Um, so my pick is Cortello, and I do think at the betting window, it's probably a dog or pass situation. And I'll admit that uh, Cortello has more paths to victory here than Benitez, um, because he does have, uh, I would say, the ground edge. So if it goes to the floor, Cortello should be in control there. And uh, Benitez has been knocked out a few times, so Cortello could finish him on the feet. That being said, um, I think people are really being swayed by Corintillo's last performance uh, when he just got uh, beaten handily by Gavin Tucker. Uh, now, granted, Tucker has better wrestling than Benitez, so he did have that to fall back on. He was able to mix in you know, some takedowns with his forward pressure, but he's a bit chinnier 
than Benitez as well. And, and he was able to actually have quite a bit of success on the feet because he was just pushing forward and forcing Corintillo to fight off of his back foot. And he is just not comfortable there. We've seen that a few times now in the UFC where Corintillo starts slow because his opponent is pressuring him. Uh, he's been able to respond in the past, maybe because his opponent started to slow down, but I don't think that's going to happen here with Benitez. So uh, when this is standing, I expect Benitez to be the better striker, the more active striker. I expect him to be the one pressing forward and forcing Corantillo to fight off of his back foot. And I think that he's going to be flustering Corantillo on the feet. Um, I think uh, Benitez is able to mix things up really well, too. I mean, you saw it. Uh, he's had some really out of nowhere finishes with uh, uh, Benitez getting, you know, a knee to the body in his last fight. He's won with a slam before. Um, and he has a little bit of an underrated guillotine choke. So if Corintillo does uh, decide to shoot in for a takedown, maybe Benitez catches him if uh, if he's a bit reckless with it. So I think... Uh, you know, Benitez can outpoint Corintillo on the feet. He might be able to wear him down and perhaps finish him on the feet. Uh, and Benitez might catch him if Corintillo recklessly shoots in for a takedown and leaves his neck out there. Um, that being said, Corintillo also could knock Benitez out. Corintillo could take him down. And hell, if Benitez doesn't put that pressure on Corintillo, I think Corintillo's striking is good enough that he could hold his own on the feet and perhaps win a decision there. So uh, this is a really evenly matched fight, but I'm going to go with Benitez because I do think that he can kind of follow that Gavin Tucker game plan that exposed Corintillo a little bit. And uh, I think that he is a very capable fighter here, and this is a decent stylistic matchup. So Benitez is going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the middleweight division... We have Rodolfo Vieira, who is seven and one, taking on Dustin Stoltzfus, who is thirteen and two. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers' perspective on this one? Vieira open minus two ten, Stoltzfus plus one eighty, and over at Circus Sports, Vieira minus two fifteen. Come back on Stoltzfus plus one eighty five. Ooh, the mystique and the hype around Vieira is gone. I mean, typically speaking, we'd see this line like go crazy. But Hernandez derailed the hype train on Vieira for sure and exposed him. I mean, look, Vieira on the ground, physically, just imposing, man. I mean, this guy definitely has a great submission game. He has the ability to finish most in the middleweight division. We know that. But after he starts wearing down and if he can't get his way, I mean, like I said, Hernandez kind of exposed him. Not just that, but a world-class grappler, jiu-jitsu black belt Vieira getting submitted by a guy like Hernandez, which Hernandez does have some good jiu-jitsu skills. But the difference, the level of class on the ground should be ridiculously different. Vieira is so far ahead of Hernandez. So that should not happen is what I'm trying to say, but it did. So that tells you a lot and it tells you the flaws that Vieira has. So again, physically strong, capable of finishing most on the floor. But here against Stoltzfus, the line and people are giving Stoltzfus some respect because I think you have to here in this spot. I mean, I think he's tough enough to kind of weather that storm. He's never been submitted in his career thus far. Uh, so he does have decent submission defense. Again, Vieira is a different beast on the ground, though, so I wouldn't be surprised if he does suffer that first submission loss here. But if he could, again, weather that early storm and kind of stuff those takedowns and make this a hard fight for Vieira, he's probably going to win this fight as it goes in round two, round three, or even late round one, possibly. So if Vieira doesn't get his way early on, Stolzfus can come back and steal this fight and probably finish here. So even though Stolzfus hasn't looked overly impressive thus far in his UFC career, I think that he could he could be a, a live dog here if given the opportunity and Vieira kind of blows his fight. So for me, I'm going to pick Vieira because it's hard for me as a point flip not to like him. I mean, like I said, the, the ground game is so dominant that he probably does get it done early on. But if he doesn't, it, it's a game changer. So for me, I can't lay that chalk on Vieira. But as far as, like I said, the toss-up type of pick him type of fight, I would definitely pick him to win this fight as he should. But it's his fight to win or lose. You know, like I said, be careful if you're betting this fight, especially if you're laying the chalk, because I think Stolzfus, all he has to do is hang on early, and he could probably win this fight. Yeah, talk about red flags. I mean, Vieira is a guy that is terrifying, but then uh, he was a completely different fighter at the end of the first round there against uh, Hernandez in his last fight, and then uh, for the rest of the, the second round. I mean, he 
was as gassed as you can get. I mean, that was about as bad as I've seen someone gas ever in a UFC fight. And it happened at, at, in less than a round. So um, that's terrifying. I mean, this guy is crazy talented. He's got a lot of power on the feet. He's ferocious on the ground and super aggressive and can get finishes with his submission game and, you know, ground and pound potentially. Uh, but um, if for some reason you survive and he gets tired, I mean, anybody can beat him at that point. I mean, he got submitted, uh, you know, a world-class uh, submission artist got submitted. Um, so that just kind of speaks volumes about what could happen in this fight if Stolzfus survives the first round. Because uh, you got to look throughout his uh, MMA career, for the most part, it has been quick first round finishes, first round rear naked choke, first round ground and pound, first round rear naked choke, first round ground and pound, uh, first round arm triangle. So, uh, you know, he's only you know, been outside the first round a couple times. So uh, if Stoltzfus makes him work and they go to the second round, even if like Vieira is like a 10-8 first round where he just dominates him. I mean, hell, I would probably, if I'm setting the betting odds for like live wagering, I might make Stoltzfus the favorite heading into the second round after what we just saw. So uh, that's just something you really have to take into consideration here. Uh, and, and as Nick mentioned, Stoltzfus has never been submitted. Now, granted, uh, he's never faced somebody with a ground game like Vieira. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe Vieira comes in here and completely steamrolls this guy. But just the fact that what happened in his last fight happened is going to put that doubt in everybody's mind. Because I think if uh, Vieira had not faced Hernandez and he was instead facing Stoltzfus at 7-0, he'd probably be like a thousand, a minus 1,000 favorite. And instead, he's what, like minus 200? So I think that kind of speaks volumes about the trust that people have in him at this point. I mean, he should win this fight. He should finish this fight. But the fact that he gassed so badly and then got finished in his last fight uh, definitely is going to make people super concerned. So I'm picking Vieira, but... I am not touching this fight with a 10-foot pole unless it's live wagering and he looks like he's gassing after one round. So, uh, Baviera will be my pick. Now, dropping down to the lightweight division, we have Matus Gamrot, who is 18-1, taking on Jeremy Stevens, who is 28-18. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Gamrot opened minus 170 to come back on Stevens at plus 145. And as we're looking right now at Circus Sports, we are currently seeing Gamrot minus 240 to come back on Stevens at plus 205. So a little bit more action coming in Gamrot's way. We did see the market kind of trend down a little bit and, and Stevens getting some respect as well. So there is a lot of two-way action market-wide on this fight. Of course, Stevens moving back up to 155 pounds. After suffering some defeats, obviously, and I've done this losing skid at 145 pounds, but man, he's fought the best of the best. I mean, throughout his UFC career, he's fought everybody there is to fight, basically. So I got a ton of respect for Stevens, and you have to respect that power. He can carry it at 145, obviously carrying it well at 155. And I think at this point of his career, as he turns, I mean, he's 35 years old. As he gets older, I think probably not cutting that weight will do him some good, right? If he can continue to work on that takedown defense. And again, he's, he's always going to be a power threat. And that's exactly what he's going to be in this fight against Gamrot. But I think Gamrot is definitely on the rise. He's a little bit younger. I think he's kind of coming into his own. He doesn't have the UFC experience Steven has or, or the level of competition Steven's faced. But so far, what we've seen in the short sample size in the UFC, he's been pretty impressive. And then looking outside the UFC before he got here, there was a lot of hype and a lot to like about him there as well. So I think on the feet, even though it's kind of more Stevens' world, so to speak, Gamrot is very capable, and I think he can do some damage here. We've, we've seen what he can do against a guy like Holtzman. I think he can actually, the speed and the power that he has, can do some damage against Stevens as well. So it's not only going to be one-way tra traffic with Stevens on the feet here in this spot. I think Gamrot can actually hold his own and possibly hurt and get Stevens out of there by knockout. And on top of that, Gamrot's ground ability and his ground game is at a different level than Stevens as well. Stevens has decent takedown defense, but I think Gamrot can mix it up well enough to probably get Stevens on his back at least a few times along the way, or, or maybe even just that one or two times he needs to finish the fight. So Gamrot has a ground advantage. I think he can hang with Stevens on the feet. He's going to be a little bit faster. I think he's a little bit more durable overall at this point of his career as well. So there's a lot to like about Gamrot. I think it's a favorite or pass situation, 
and I'm going to pick Gamron to beat Stevens. And I'm going to go with Gamron as well. Uh, I think that this guy is a player in the lightweight division. I mean, he is a really, really talented up-and-coming prospect. Uh, he entered the UFC on a huge wave of hype. Um, lost a really competitive decision to uh, Kutaladze, which is not the worst thing in the world. Kutaladze is a rock-solid fighter as well. Uh, and then he rebounded the last time out uh, with a dominant one-sided performance against a pretty good you know, veteran lightweight in Scott Holtzman. So I think that's where you really got to see what uh, Gamrot is capable of. Uh, now, Stevens, on the other hand, um, you know, he's been in the UFC forever and... Uh, it looks like, you know, he's moving back up to the lightweight division after uh, a stint in featherweight where he was briefly a contender, but he has not won any of his last five fights, has not won a fight since uh, February of 2018. And uh, he is coming off of a stoppage loss uh, against Calvin Cater. Now, granted, all those losses that he's coming off of, uh, Jose Aldo, Zabitner, uh, Magomed Sharapov, Yair Rodriguez, Calvin Cater, those are all elite, elite fighters uh, in the division. Um, you got a former champ and then three top top contenders. So there is no shame in being on a winless stretch through five fights against fighters of that caliber. So I'm not going to hold it against Stevens too much. And... In this fight, uh, I mean, he could knock Gamrod out. I mean, absolutely. He's got crazy power, and it plays at featherweight and at lightweight. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, he's knocked some really imp- good fighters out throughout the course of his career. Um, that being said, uh, Gamrod is the f- type of fighter that just wears people down. I think he has really good wrestling. He's well-rounded. His top control's dangerous. His ground and pound's dangerous. Uh, this is a guy that uh, I think is going to be able to utilize the full aspect of his game and fluster Stevens a little bit. And I think Stevens being concerned about the takedown is going to make Gamrot striking a little bit more dangerous as well. Um, we've seen that play up in the past. as uh, So uh, I'm going to go with uh, uh, Gamrot. I think that he does get the takedowns. And I think uh, that he just keeps that unfortunate losing streak for Stevens continuing. Um, I don't think this is the end for Stevens, but I do think that he is going to be winless in his last six fights after this one is said and done with. So Gamron is my pick. Now, dropping down to the women's Bantamweight division, we have Marion Renault, who is 9-7-1, taking on Misha Tate, former champion, coming out of retirement at 18-7. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers perspective on this one? Renault open minus 135, the comeback on Tate plus 115. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Misha Tate minus 152, the comeback of Renault plus 132. So that plus money on Tate did not last. Everybody coming in on Tate. We're getting some big bets on Tate as well. I mean, let's face it. If this line was before Tate took five years off and had a family, like started having children or whatnot, she has two children, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and basically retired from the sport this line would be a lot bigger than what it is now, right? I mean, a former champion fought, again, the best of the best. Stylistically, it's kind of a tough matchup for Renault as well because Tate has that wrestling, that grinding style that can put this fight to the floor and that she should probably have the defense to not get caught up in Renault's submission game as well. So this is her path to victory for Tate. That's why people are coming in on her as well. But it's not going to be as easy, I think, as people are anticipating. Of course, Renault made it publicly known this will be her last fight, so this is her retirement fight. I know a lot of people will think that's a negative, but I think the way she's approaching this is actually positive because this is like her Super Bowl sort of moment for her. This is her title shot, so to speak, Um, going out and getting a W over a person like Tate, who's one of the best ever in in the sport as far as female fighters goes. It's it's just a huge feather in her cap. So I get why Renault wants to go out this way, and and she's capable of possibly, you know, pulling off the upset win. I, I do lean towards Tate. I think she is probably going to implement that game plan, getting the takedowns and looking pretty good on the ground. And from what everything we've seen and heard, she should be in pretty good shape. Um, so I am going to lean on that. But as far as bet goes, I'm not nearly as confident as everybody coming in bet and Tate in this spot. So we'll see how it plays out. I just think we're no, I mean, pardon the pun, but she is kind of a dog, right? Meaning not just in this fight, but I mean, she goes out there and fights. I mean, she doesn't back down. 
Um, she's fought very good competition, and she's pulled off some pretty impressive wins. So this is not going to be an easy fight, or at least as easy as everybody anticipates, I think. But the pick is going to be Tate for me. I'm going to go with Tate as well. I mean, yes, she hasn't fought in almost five years, and she's had two kids in the meantime, but uh, she looks to be in tremendous shape. Uh, she definitely has been, uh, you know, training and working hard. And, you know, it's crazy that uh, Tate has been retired for five years and is coming out of retirement, but she's 10 years younger than her opponent, Renault, who's 44. Um, now, granted, Renault hasn't fought like a 44-year-old. Um, she's had good energy in her fights. And for a stretch there, um, she was a, a bit of a player in the, the Bantamweight division when she got, uh, you know, victories over uh, Dudiva, uh, Bernardo, and uh, Sarah McMahon. You know, that actually had her, you know, earned her some really tough fights. Uh, unfortunately, she just has not been able to win any of those fights, uh, dropping four straight decisions. Um, and, uh, against Misha Tate, I think that she's probably going to drop another decision. Uh, Renault is a dangerous striker and she does have the striking edge here against Tate, but, um, is she going to be able to keep it upright? I just don't think so. Uh, Tate is a pretty solid, uh, above average wrestler and Renault has historically had pretty bad takedown defense. Uh, she does have, Renault has a good, uh, submission game. Uh, she can toss up some triangles off of her back, uh, arm bars, stuff like that. But it's been pretty tough historically to uh, tap Tate out unless you hurt her first. So uh, I'm going to say the most likely outcome here is Renault does land a few shots on the feet. But at some point, Tate is going to drag this to the floor and then work ground and pound, perhaps look for submissions and ride top position, whether it's to a decision or a stoppage at some point. So... Um, I think uh, Tate ruins uh, Renault's retirement fight with uh, a victory here and comes out of retirement and immediately enters the top 15. So Tate is going to be my pick. Now, this brings us to the main event of the evening. In the lightweight division, we have Islam Makashev, who is 19 and 1, taking on Tiago Moises, who is 15 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Makashev opened minus 500, the comeback on Moises at plus 375. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Makashev minus 715, the comeback on Moises at plus 535. So everybody continues to come in on Makashev. I get it. I mean, uh, to me, he's a version of Khabib, it's been said, that has better striking in a way. I mean, I don't think obviously Khabib's wrestling and his, his, the way he goes about his fight game is a little bit different and he's unique. There's, he's one of a kind. But the similarities are kind of there in some ways with Makachev having a dominant grappling wrestling style. But again, his stand-up continues to improve, and I think he has very serviceable stand-up as well. So Makachev, in my opinion, I've said it on the UFC online show as well, is the best lightweight in the world right now. He doesn't have that number one around his name or that belt around his waist, but stylistically, he's a nightmare matchup for most in this division. So Moises, I like the improvements he's made in this game. I think this guy is a very well-rounded fighter, and since he entered the octagon and, and made it over to the UFC, I think he's elevated his game to another level. I think he's a threat everywhere the fight takes place. We've seen it time and time again. He has that finishing ability, but unfortunately for him, he's just running up against a guy that most people don't want to fight. I mean, a lot of people have been ducking Makashev for a while now, right? So Moises stepped up and took this fight, but stylistically it should be a bad matchup because unless Moises can submit Makashev off his back, which I don't think he will here in this spot, He's going to be spending a lot of time there. And then on the feet, again, I think it's going to be fairly competitive. Makachev has enough power to give Moises some problems there as well. But I think just mixing and transitioning everything together and getting Makachev positioned on the ground and, and starting to land some of that ground and pound and doing some damage on the ground along the way is probably what's going to open up a path to victory for Makachev as well. So I just think stylistically it's just too difficult of a fight for Moises. But at the betting window, there's no way I would bet 700, 600. So I'm just letting that be known as well. Even though I think Makachev is going to roll in this fight, I think you have to respect the threat that Moises has on the other side of this, and you cannot bet this fight at this point. So not even in a parlay. If there's no value straight, there's no value in a parlay either. So I would leave this alone. If you miss the boat at minus 450, 500-ish or whatever, just stay away from it. Again, I know it's hard, and it's not easy to say that, but it is what it is. So I think Makachev is going to shine here. He's probably going to get the W here and he's going to continue to roll and hopefully he gets a top five sort of opponent next because he deserves to be in that spot. So we'll see where he goes. And if he does eventually get that title shot, 
title shot, I should say, excuse me, uh, along the way here. I, I expect him to at some point, maybe obviously not this year, but maybe next year if he could continue to roll off, like I said, maybe another win after this fight, uh, he might get that title shot. So we'll see. But for me, it's Makashev. Just too hard to bet this price either way. And I'm going to go Makashev as well, but uh, I will take a second here and say that I have, you know, disrespected Moises a little bit. Uh, I've been picking against him, I think, for three straight fights, and he has proved me wrong all three times uh, with a, a submission victory over Michael Johnson and then back-to-back decisions over uh, solid lightweights Bobby Green and Alexander Hernandez. So, you know, I'm just going to say I was wrong. You know, Moises has made some serious strides in the lightweight division. He's uh, a guy that you absolutely need to respect at this point and uh, deserves uh, a top opponent. That being said, as much as I have disrespected him by picking against him and being wrong over and over again, I'm going to pick against him again Um, because Islam Makashev is just a nightmare matchup um, because... While Moises has improved his stand-up and is very dangerous with his submission game, uh, there's really no spot here where he is going to have a big edge against uh, Makashev. I mean, Makashev is a guy that just takes people down and dominates them over and over and over again. And he's done it against good wrestlers. Um, We've seen him take down Chris Wade. We've seen him take down Nick Lentz. Uh, We've seen him... Uh, you know, earn decisions against uh, Davi Ramos, n- n- earn a TKO against Gleason Tebow, uh, most recently uh, got a stoppage victory against Drew Dober. So, you know, this is a guy, I think even perhaps as impressive as any was the decision against uh, Sarukian, who is a guy that is another player in the lightweight division. Um, you know, it just seems like ever since uh, Makashev had that uh, upset loss to uh, Martins back in 2015, he has just taken his game to a whole nother level. Uh, and what most likely happens here is Makashev drags this to the floor. And as good as Moises's ground game is, it's not good enough to fluster uh, Makashev. I mean, Makashev can slice through guards like butter. Um, and I do not see Moises catching Makashev with a submission. Um, and most likely Makashev just gets top position and then goes to work with ground and pound, maybe even opens up an opportunity for a submission himself. Unlikely, but it is a five round fight and he could, uh, wear Moises down. Uh, on the feet, uh, Moises is good enough that he could outpoint Makashev, but is Makashev really just going to stand and trade for five rounds? I would be absolutely flabbergasted if that happened. So I'm going to go with Makashev. I just think the most likely outcome here is repeated takedowns and ground and pound, and uh, eventually Moises just won't be able to take that anymore. And Makashev probably finishes it inside five rounds with a top position. So Makachev is going to be my pick. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC Vegas 31. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll give them first. Um, you can also check out the free bet section on MMAOddsBreaker.com on the top tabs on the site. Remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.